All right, everybody, welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of Tack Outs and Touchdowns. It's your guy, Bully Rye, back at it again. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, thanks for making me part of your day presented by Anchor Podcasts. This week's opening bell, we are going to be reviewing Hell in a Cell 2021. So without further ado, let's bring back wrestling correspondent to the show, PJ Steven. PJ, how you doing today, bud? Uh, got, you know, I'm doing all right. Usually I crack open a beer right here at this moment, but I am hung over. I play a show tonight in Columbia, so I need to relax on the drinking until later on. And, uh, I don't know, around three o'clock I'll start up again, <laughs> but I'm yes. doing all right, man. Happy to be here. And I'm ready to talk about this amazing pay-per-view that I really, really enjoyed. And I'm, I'm sure you did as well. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on, on a hungover day and, and see that kids. Hangovers get worse as you get older. They so, do. I, I'm 27 years old, and I'm telling you, I still think I can drink like a fish. And good God, can I not? In fact, it's the opposite, my friends. <laughs> so I've got a friend that is much younger than me, and uh, she claimed to never throw up when she drank. And there was a she. She just had a big milestone birthday, and uh, let's just say that that is no longer the case. And I told her to, <laughs> I told her to enjoy uh, growing older and the throwing up with drinking to never stop. Uh, so let's lead. Let's let's somehow segue that into Hell in a Cell 2021 took place on. <laughs> what a segue! <laughs> what, what a segue. segue into it. Yeah, took took. You talking about Hell in a Cell? I mean, I don't I don't know how I could transition that any better. Uh, June twentieth, twenty twenty one. Main event saw. Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, Hell in a Cell match for the WWE Championship. Uh, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start at the show open. Um, you know, matter of fact, PJ, you mentioned there was a dark match on the show. Why don't you give us a rundown of what the dark match was? So dark match was uh, Natalia defeating Mandy Rose by submission. Um, uh, it went nine minutes, 45 seconds. Uh, yeah, you know, the match wasn't that bad. And I remember I was sitting next to my wife, um, and she was like, why is this match even happening? Like, what, like, w- like, what's the deal with this match? I was like, well, sometimes what they'll do is like for tag team champions, they'll have um, like just a singles match with like, you know, whoever is, you know, the rival at the time or whatever, you know? And uh, I said, so probably you're going to have Manny Rose go over here so we can continue the storyline of like, you know, oh, they, maybe they have a chance to get the tag titles because that happens every now and again. Well, that was not the case. Natalia went over uh, on Manny Rhodes. Um, it was a decent match, too. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I was like, wow, this match is not bad. Well, what a way to kick it off so far. Yeah. So I definitely did enjoy it. But uh, Hell in a Cell, man, like the, we're going to get into it. The pay-per-view was fantastic. It took place June 20th right there in Tampa as well, uh, which is great. At the same place that WrestleMania has been for the last couple, I guess, a couple years, right, Ryan? Like it was in Tampa, then it was in Tampa again, right? Yeah, they were supposed to have they were supposed to have fans in Tampa. Then coronavirus happened, and so they had it at the Performance Center. And then um, this past year, they actually had it in Tampa with with a limited crowd. So yeah, back in Tampa here again for Hell in a Cell 2021. Admittedly, I have not watched the dark match that you mentioned, uh, but it sounds like a good match. The opener. Yeah, I was I, I was impressed. I was surprised that I was impressed, but I was like, oh, it's not bad. I like I enjoyed this. Yeah, I think Mandy Rose is getting better. Honestly, they they went through this storyline with her where she had her haircut by Sonya Deville. She was with Otis. 
they then they split up on shows. Mandy Rose went to Raw. They gave her extensions. Otis is a bad guy now on SmackDown. They shaved his beard. None of it makes any sense. But again, another seamless transition. The show opener for Hell in a Cell 2021 saw the SmackDown Women's Championship put on the line as Bianca Belair faced off against Bailey. PJ, why don't you give us a start? I'll let you start us off with, with the show. Uh, what do you think about this match? Uh, I think it was terrific. Uh, Bianca Belair, uh, Bailey, terrific match. Played a, or told a great story, rather. Uh, 19 minutes, 45 seconds. They had plenty of time here. This Hell in a Cell was, I think it was better than the first uh, uh, women's Hell in a Cell. And nothing taken away from that match. That was a great match. But this was just unbelievable. Uh, I love the laughing. Belair finally gets her her revenge. And it's just like laughing at Bailey the way Bailey laughed at her. Which, again, like, is silly. Like, it, yeah, the laughing. Why are you laughing at me? You know, it's weird. But really, really enjoyed this one. Man, it was good. Uh, great finish as well. Um, terrific match. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to run through my notes here. Two really great theme songs to enter in through. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I always mention uh, any sort of white ring gear. Bianca coming in with that that title match white gear. Uh, you know, I, I noticed a throwback to the SmackDown from two nights ago as they get the chairs involved super early in this match. Uh, you know, Bailey did the whole like. Uh, like the finger manipulation. And I, I wrote down in my notes, is she, stake, is she taking Pete Dunn's gimmick? You know, what's going on here? Um, digging the limb targeting from Bailey on Bianca in this match. I believe yes. she's going after her arm to, you know, Bianca's strength is her strength. And so you take that away. So I, I, I you, you mentioned they told a great story. That was a great story point in this. Uh, I, I heard somebody or, or read where somewhere and said that, the Bianca's hair, and it might have actually been you that said that Bianca's hair tying is already getting old. I, I disagreed. I love tying her hair to the rope. At one point, I think they tied her hair to the chair. Uh, I love this these sort of spots. There was a sunset flip bomb to the cage. I don't know if you remember. There was a really fun spot to watch, especially because it was it was these two uh, superior athletes, if you want to, you know, if so to speak. Uh, there was a kendo stick spot. Where Bailey had some kendo sticks uh, taped together and wedged them between the ring and the cage, and Bianca Belair put them through it. Uh, man, it was it was again, it was a different optic, and I love seeing new things, and that's something that I had not seen before. Uh, Bailey getting the ladder in a cell uh, makes me want to see an actual ladder match inside Hell in a Cell. I don't know if you felt the same way, but secure a title belt to the top of the cage, lower the cage, and have a have a ladder match inside Hell in a Cell. I think that'd be a an interesting match to put together. Then you get the kiss of death on the ladder for the finish. Uh, you know, you mentioned both of these ladies can work. And in my opinion, Bailey might be the best woman worker on the roster right now. Becky Lynch been out when, with her pregnancy and you know, childbirth. Don't know when we're going to see her back, but nevertheless, Bailey right now to me is the best worker uh, female wise on the roster. I gave this match four stars, really good opening matchup. And we mentioned in our last episode in, in your house, the opener was supposed to set up the show in your house was sort of a letdown after the opener. This is not the case here. This four-star match led us into the next match on the card where we see Seth Rollins versus Cesaro. This rivalry continued on uh, from even prior to WrestleMania. Seth Rollins being embarrassed by being swung over 20 times by, by Cesaro. So we get another match between the two. There's some other hijinks that have gone on. 
off the pay-per-view to lead to this match. PJ, I'm going to let you start us off again. Uh, how'd you feel about this Cesaro versus Seth Rollins match? Uh, you know, high spots, low spots. How'd you feel about this match? So I want to also talk about the um, real quick before we move on the uh, that opening match. While I did enjoy the spots you were talking about with the hair uh, tying to uh, different materials in the ring, I did think that they saturated it just a little bit. I mean, once or twice is great. Uh, however, you know, now when we see that again in a match, it's going to be like, oh, they did that like four or five times in the last match. The um, that's my personal opinion. However, it didn't take away from how much I love the match, but I love the Kendo Smith uh, stick spots you were talking about. When we move on to the next match, uh, you know, Seth Rollins, Cesaro, uh, they got 16 minutes, 15 seconds, 16 minutes, 15 seconds, excuse me. Um, another great match here. These guys have terrific chemistry. Um, didn't so much like the finish. Uh, I understand it. You know, roll-ups aren't terrible. Um, but uh, I, I did enjoy the chemistry here. Cesaro trying to hit that swing on him again. Every time I see Cesaro put on the sharpshooter, I'm like, damn, it just reminds me of, like, the intensity of, like, The Rock. You know, even – you have to admit, like, even The Rock when he put on the sharpshooter, like, it made Bret Hart's look like a freaking cuddle. Um, and I love Bret Hart, by the way. That's no dig on him at all. So I, I, I hope this keeps going, honestly. Um, I, I think it should keep going until it gets old. Um, I think that's how most rivalries should go. Um, great spots here, and I just, just, another, just another great match on the card. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned a great rivalry here, and you like to see it keep going. I Like you, I was, I was a fan of the finish, but I wasn't a fan of the finish. You know, I, there's another podcast, I believe uh, Arn Anderson said it on his podcast, that WWE has gotten to the habit of – essentially trading wins back and forth. And so you, when you mentioned with this rivalry and wanting to see it continue, it sort of reminded me of the ECW rivalry between Tommy Dreamer and Raven, where Tommy Dreamer could never get that win until he did. And I halfway was hoping that we were going to see, like, Seth Rollins is a former world champion, a former universal champion. He should be able to right. take anybody. So, but all of a sudden now he can't get through Cesaro. That's what I was hoping here. Seth Rollins goes over, so you don't really see that. I again, I wrote it in my notes. Another great match. What you would expect from two of the best workers in the world. Uh, there was some. There was a spot in the match where Cesaro took off Seth's glove, slapped him with it. I think he shoved it in his mouth at one point. Uh, there were some really fun, really nice transitions from the Cesaro swing to the sharpshooter to the crossface to a pin attempt. Back to the sharpshooter, just really flawless transitions from these two. Again, sort of what you would expect between Seth Rollins and Cesaro, which led to, like you said, the roll-up win for Seth Rollins. Take away the, the if you want to call it a lackluster finish, it was still a four-star match. Uh, so, nevertheless, another good Agre match here. Agreed. I did love the spot as well was when uh, Cesaro like stomps on Rollins arm when he tries to reach for the ropes again. And then that's why, uh, you know, Rollins was able to like roll him up and, and stuff. I, I love the spots of like, he's reaching for the ropes. Oh, he just stomps on his tan. Like, I think that is awesome. Uh, yeah, he did. He did shove the, the glove in Rollins mouth, which I thought was really, really cool as well. Um, I, 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 I still, I still did dig it. Although I do agree with you, like the finish to me was just like, oh, come on, man, let's get a clean finish here. But it's a way to keep this rivalry going. Seth Rollins finally got one over on, um, on Cesaro. So yeah, fuck it. Keep it going. I like it. Yeah. Good stuff here. And again, like you said, two of the best workers in the world, we, we should see some, some stuff going forward. I, I really, I wrote, I wrote down that what a really good job 
in uh, reinventing her character, even in ring at this point. I know a lot of people are over it. They feel like she stole her gimmick from from the fiend Bray Wyatt, which you can argue if you want to or not. Whatever whatever she did, however she got in this position, I think she's killing it. it w- whether or not people want to give her the credit for it because they're sick of the gimmick, like that's that's on them. But I love what she's doing. I, I wrote down the arm manipulation. We know that Alexa Bliss is double jointed. So even even saying that, watching Shayna Baszler manipulate that arm was was just uncomfortable. Like I, you know, again, like it's. it's <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, just watching her arm bend in such weird ways, like legitimately think, like, hey, you're going to go too far, and her arm is going to snap on live pay per view. Like, how how is that going to look? Uh, you know, the one thing I don't like, I, I mentioned a loving how. Alexa Bliss has reinvented herself. I don't like the idea that she can stare into somebody's eyes and take control of them. That's something that I don't like. Similar to the zombie match that we talked about a few shows ago in Backlash, I don't like this concept that Alexa could just look in the eyes of somebody and hypnotize them. Uh, You know, it started on Reginald uh, earlier in the week. Then she's got it with Nia Jax and, and somehow was able to emulate herself within Nia Jax sort of a la Damian Mizdow a few years ago, but now it's supposed to be like taken seriously. So, you know, again, that, that was sort of silly. Um, nevertheless, still good work from everyone based on what this was supposed to be continuing to build this creepy Alexa bliss character, continue to advance her story with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and Reginald for that matter. You know, like I said, three-star match, and even despite all this stuff, Alexa Bliss. Um, I don't, I don't know how to say this without coming off uh, like a like like a bro, but she can still get it, man. She is gorgeous. Ryan Cabrera, whoever her fiance is, <laughs> is a total lucky dick. guy. Yeah, uh, PJ, what do you have to add to this match? Alexa Bliss versus Shayna Baszler. So I will say that the hypnotizing thing was very very weird to me that slap that naya gave uh, reginald holy shit like i was like yo he's dead like there's no way <laughs> oh my god it was uh, yeah I feel like I heard, the first row <laughs> i feel like i heard it in my backyard no to your point yeah that was that was a, a very violent yeah slap. like you know what it, it's weird you know but gosh she got a she got a pinfall victory over Shayna baszler i mean almost i mean a borderline clean pinfall win um it's good seeing her do the twisted bliss i feel like i haven't seen her do that in what feels like years um really enjoyed the match but yeah it's weird but it, it's almost no different than like the ministry of darkness kind of shit you know take her hypnotizing people you know like so part of me is just like oh this is ridiculous but other part of me is like well we've seen it before and like where was my bitching then you know so it, it's just catch 22 most definitely that being said um it still did kind of like made me go well what are we doing here so i agree to, yeah i mean like it, it was it strange yeah but we've seen this before i mean it's not the first time wwe's done this kind of kind of shit and it- and they're continuing to kind of push the envelope between not just reality versus fiction, but like believability versus like, okay, like what, what the hell are you doing? Like this, this is, this isn't working, but we're going to make it work because it's always been said, Vincent man loves characters. And I'm sure he is digging this. Like you always have the, the, Oh, this is such good shit. Like that's, that's, that's kind of, yeah, what yeah. I, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yeah. 
And, yeah. you know, that's what I have to say, too, about, like, these people who are complaining. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, a bit off topic here. But the people who are complaining about the whole uh, Nikki, Nikki Cross superhero gimmick that we've seen on Raw. And I'm like, you know, you guys are complaining about that. But, like, I've heard crickets over Alexa Bliss hypnotizing somebody outside the ring. Like, I'm sorry. Like, the, the superhero gimmick, I think, is kind of cool. Uh, she came up with it on her own. So it's not WWE making her character look like shit. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Vince loves that shit. He loves uh, if someone comes up with their own ideas. Less shit that he has to do. So let her run with it. I mean, Hurricane was successful. Paul Burchill was borderline over, even though he sucked in the ring. People loved him. I mean, he's a pirate superhero. Was. Yeah, I think we should let. I mean, Blue Blazer. I mean, good God, man, it's a superhero. Aren't we super? Aren't these superstars, for lack of a better word, you know? I mean, the, aren't these wrestlers, these workers, aren't these superheroes to children anyway? Let this one be a real superhero. Like, jeez. Anyway, yeah. I had to say that. I, no. I had to had to had to bitch about that. While we're on the subject, we might as well talk about it. I think the problem. I understand your point, and I think the problem that I have with it is that there was no build. So you had. The hurricane that sort of he didn't come out of nowhere. He sort of morphed into that hurricane character where like you knew he was a fan of the Green Lantern. And so he kind of modeled his his look after the Green Lantern and he kind of came on. And it wasn't it wasn't just like all of a sudden he showed up to the hurricane and boom. Uh, he, I mean, his nickname was the hurricane, like Shane, the hurricane helms. And then it was, okay, right. the, hur- the hurricane is now his gimmick. The, the Nikki Cross thing, it came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, she was getting these upset wins, be it like time limit wins or count out wins over Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. And then her gimmick of a superhero literally came out of nowhere. And I think that's the problem, at least personally, that I have with it, is that they didn't really build it to it. They just all of a sudden let her show up as this like golden blue superhero with a mask and stuff like that and like i mean granted it could turn into something really good but it was it just seemed it seemed overly gimmicky out of nowhere for no reason and i think that's why people had to complain about it uh but nevertheless i'm I'm with you though like give it a chance at least like people people thought the new day gimmick was stupid as shit when it first came out like what the hell are these guys doing? Like yeah, these are all yeah. three good athletes and they're coming out here like preachers and like clapping to like church music. Like what are they doing? And they became probably arguably the best faction, not the best faction, you know, we, that's another argument for another subject, but at least as far as like the, the PG era, like the 2010 post 2010 era, I mean the best tag team in the world, the best tag team WWE's ever seen. All three of them got over together and on their own for that matter so again like i'm with you as far as like okay like you're not shitting on alexa bliss hypnotizing people you know that's a character thing like give nikki cross a chance to get over and so i can i can sort of relate to you from that standpoint um but moving on in the show here uh alexa bliss again gets the win over Shayna baszler which leads us to our next match another match between Sami Zayn and kevin owens uh, the one thing I want to mention here is that Kevin Owens sold a like a wrist or an arm injury through a lot of this match, and a lot of people in Suplex City uh, speculated that he was really hurt. And I just wanted to go on record saying that I told them from the get go that it was a work. And on the next episode of SmackDown, he will be in a Last Man Standing match with Sami Zayn in a Money in the Bank qualifying match on on SmackDown on Friday night on Fox. Uh, but but that's neither here nor there. Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens here next on the card at Hell in a Cell. 
PJ, how'd you feel about this match? I'll let you start us off with this again. So plenty of time here again to get 12 minutes, 40 seconds. Um, I was happy to see Sami Zayn get a pinfall victory over Kevin Owens. I feel like it's very, it's been very one-sided. Uh, by the way, I do remember you saying that the, um, that the thing, that the, the, the thing, um, the arm, uh, the arm injury, the hand injury was a work. And so like, I am a witness to that. Uh, what, I, what I will say, man, I love anytime these guys get together, man, I'm, I'm sorry. This is not a rivalry that gets old to me. This is like, to me, this is like my undertaker and Kane, uh, obviously two different storylines. However, never got tired of when I was a kid watching those two work, they could work. I mean, not now. Cause they're ancient and i hate part-timers but um they i mean they, they could work any time in that uh, when i was a kid and when i was growing up i was like god i love these anytime and they could wrestle every single day of the week and i'd love it and i think i think these guys are the same for me personally i would love to see kevin owens um Sami Zayn rivalry any day no matter what these guys always put on an amazing show and i think now it's getting to the point now that vince is kind of like well goddamn pal I guess these guys have worked together before. Yeah. And like every other promotion, like in the world. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, they, it feels like he's kind of letting, letting them kind of do what they, what they want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, goddamn pal that they must be, they must be really good friends, you know, God damn, I'm good getting them together. And it's like, you know, no, they've been doing this for years. Um, I love the Hulu. Uh, I can never pronounce it. Huluva kick. Love that. Same barely getting out of the 10 count um, to stay alive. Zane's bleeding from the mouth at this point. They exchange punches at headbutts. Um, he hits a knee to the back of Owens and throat first on the bottom rope, by the way. I don't know if you saw that spot. That made me cough. Um, but yeah, he just Zane just kept on him, told a great story of finally Zane getting over on Kevin Owens. And you know, Kevin Owens was kicking out of a lot, but it was just not enough to overcome the damage. Uh, and finally we get a um pinfall win for Sami Zayn. Also love Zane hitting a a flip diver over the top rope uh onto Owens on the outside. That was amazing as well. Good stuff. Just great spots all around. I mean, like I, I don't know what you expect from these guys, but it's usually close to perfection. I'm glad you mentioned that spot because I have it in my notes here that it's been a while since I've seen some sort of like that sort of agility from Sami Zayn because we know he's capable of it. But yeah, I love seeing that spot. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, in my notes, I wrote that the, they were planting the seeds for the Zayn win as KO was holding his throat from the Nigerian nail on SmackDown. So I, I don't want to say they made it predictable, but they definitely set it up early. Uh, enjoyed the story here outside of the, again, the note, the, the throat. Nigerian nail angle uh, leading over from SmackDown, leading to the story, leading to the finish. You would imagine why they did it. Uh, there was a senton to the floor, onto the knees of Zayn, uh, the KO hit that looked, I don't want to say scary, but it definitely looked, looked, looked violent. I also wrote a funny note. Sami Zayn looked like Ginger Santa Claus after a KO kicked out of the Blue Thunder Bomb. He, he stood up and looked exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Genuinely surprised these guys can go over and over and tell a different story every time. Uh, but again, it, the 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 seed to the finish was planted in the entrance, and it came to fruition. Sami Zayn gets the win over KO. Three and a half stars is what I gave this match. Uh, moving right along here, we haven't had a match under three stars on the card, and this next match uh, will will be the one that lets us down here, at least from my perspective. <laughs> the raw. Listen, listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> Raw Women's Championship match between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Um, and I'm going to lead us off because I'm going to let you start us off with the main event here. We've got a botch of the night nominee here. More of a missed spot here. 
But Charlotte went for another stopper kick on Ripley uh, early in the match, and she was a solid three feet away. I'm like, what? What are you doing here, people? Um, other, you know, other than that, decent, decent action. Rhea Ripley's finally selling well, but her offense to me is just trash. Just seems like she's not confident hitting anything on her opponent. She can sell, but she can't like. I don't know. It's something that you don't normally like think about when it comes to wrestlers. Like your job is to sell to your opponent, to keep your opponent safe. Um, but I mean, I just, I feel like her offense is, is straight trash. Like it just doesn't look natural. It doesn't look clean. Uh, nevertheless, um, unsurprisingly good action from the part of Charlotte. And then, you know, I just mentioned that some of her offenses is, is sort of trash, but um, some surprisingly good stuff here from Rhea Ripley. I'm starting to realize that I'm not the biggest Rhea Ripley fan. So, and not, you know, who, who am I that she has to win over? Uh, but I'll, I'll continue to watch, hoping that she gets better on the main roster. Um, the Riptide looked a lot more vicious than I'm used to seeing it. Charlotte hit the mat hard on the Riptide late in the match. I don't know if you noticed that as well. Like it just seemed like the ring didn't give as much when she hit it. Um, and that might've been what it was. Uh, didn't like the leg work to Ripley early because it looked weak, but it gradually looked better as the match went on. So she was selling that leg injury. Like I think Charlotte kicked her in the hamstring and Rhea Ripley started selling the knee injury and that's what didn't look good. <laughs> Yes, yeah, exactly. that's exactly what happened. I have that in my notes as well. Yeah, so it, again, it looked better as the match went on because it looked like she focused more on the knee. Nevertheless, uh, a, a, another weak-ass finish between these two. A disqualification, not only just a disqualification finish in a women's title match, but like she pulled the cover on the announce table up to hit Charlotte in the face and got herself disqualified. Like, not only is the DQ finish weak, the way the DQ finish went down was weak. Like, it wasn't like she pulled out a chair or a, or a kendo stick and just started going off. Like, she literally just pulled up a piece of the table, like, hey, take this to your mouth, and then and the match was over. And I still don't know who the heel is. We've talked about this on a few, on a few shows now. I don't know who the heel is. Obviously, Charlotte's a heel, but Jesus, Rhea Ripley comes off like a heel, and it makes no damn sense to me. The finish itself cost the match half a star. I gave this match two and a half stars. What do you have to add for this lackluster Raw Women's Championship match between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair? So I don't have too much more to add. I will say that I just don't think these guys, uh, great talent all around. I'm a big fan of Rhea Ripley. Um, Obviously, like, you know, Charlotte Flair, I mean, she's one of the most talented women on the women's roster. There's no denying it. I just don't think these guys have great chemistry. Uh, And I don't think that whoever's booking this, which, I mean, there's a lot of them, but I don't know. I, I don't think who's booking this thinks they don't have a lot of chemistry either, but it feels like they're so down in the rabbit hole. They have to keep it going. Um, the yeah, kick the, of the, the box yeah. was insane. You mentioned, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You mentioned the booker. Yeah. The no, producer, you're, you're the producer for these matches, whether Oscar's involved or not, I don't know if they're just telling him to go out there and wing it or what, but I, I agree with you. The chemistry is not there between these two. Definitely. De- definitely didn't love it. Um, they got plenty of time, though. I mean, 14 minutes and 10 seconds, but honestly, it, it went too long. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Everything you said was spot on. We're pretty much in agreement here. Uh, no chemistry between these two. A weak finish. You, you, you want to give them credit for, for trying to be smart with, with the finish, uh, but, but no, it's, 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 I feel like you're going to get, because the next night, you know, you kind of heard after the match. Uh, yeah, I, and like, 
there was some decent action. Like it's like they were trying to tell a story, but God, they couldn't get us past the first paragraph. Uh, I will say that the the finish was insane. I hated it. I I I even I blinked for a second. I was like, whoa, why is the bell ringing? And then I'm like, what? She hit her with the what? I even was like, was it? A mistake? Like, did she accidentally scoop the um? Because yeah. these things are flimsy. Did she actually scoop the top of it, and it actually hit Flair, and the ref didn't have any choice but to DQ it? I mean, like, I mean, what happened there? Like, was that even supposed to be the finish? 100%, part of me yeah. wants to believe that. You know, see, part of me wants to be to believe that. No, nah, they're a little smarter than that. And then we move on to the next finish of the main event, and then I'm like, oh, okay, giddy up. But anyway, <laughs> um, like, uh, <laughs> but. But seriously, though, I just it did take away from the momentum. I, I I wanted to love it, but it just didn't. It didn't touch it. It did not touch the uh, earlier. It didn't even touch um, Alexa and um, and Shayna. To be honest, that had I think that told a better story and that had uh, more ring psychology than this. Despite hypnotizing Nia Jax, but Rhea scream out to Charlotte, "You would have done it to me, so I'm doing it to you now." And Charlotte screams out, you're learning, bitch. Like, it's almost like it's going to turn into, like, this Charlotte teaching Rhea how to be a heel. And eventually they're going to team up at some point, sort of like the uh, the Sheamus-Cesaro dynamic a few years ago. But uh, I, yeah, I think, okay. I don't know if you'd be – I think – I feel like you'd be doing them a disservice unless you're going to turn it into some sort of, like, four horsewomen led by Charlotte. You wouldn't call it the four horsewomen, but – um, I just I don't I don't see it going that way uh, again. It's we'll have a lot to speculate on as we as we move along with with tap outs and touchdowns as a whole, because there's there's more to come between Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. Uh, but for the time being, we're going to head to the main event here on Hell in a Cell. I mentioned it at the start of the show. WWE Championship is on the line. Drew McIntyre will receive his last title opportunity as long as Bobby Lashley is WWE champion in this match. They will go head to head here inside Hell in a Cell, Bobby Lashley's first ever Hell in a Cell match. PJ Steven, give us your thoughts, your notes, your opinions on the main event here. First of all, I want to say the entrances, uh, for some reason, they just looked so much stronger here. I don't know what it was. They're walking to the ring. I wish we would have kind of gotten that backstage um, with that music, that dun 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 dun, like during. Um, Michaels and Austin, uh, WrestleMania uh, 14. Like I love that back. So when they're walking to the curtain and they're at, they're at gorilla and then they hit their music and then, you know, uh, but this, this entrance felt so big to me. I don't know why, but yes, as you mentioned, this is the last chance for Drew McIntyre uh, to challenge Bobby Lashley for the belt. Of course, this is his last chance in hell, hell in a cell. Uh, so they went 25 minutes, 40, um, 20, 45 seconds. It's the longest match on the card. And good God, it did not feel like 25 minutes. This match was just tremendous. So much storytelling, so much power, hard hitting. Uh, they, they told just a terrific story. And I just love the psychology of like, it felt like it was McIntyre's last chance. It felt like McIntyre was just like trying what he could to get it done. Um, I love the, uh, he trapped, um, he isn't Lashley. Uh, Lashley traps McIntyre in the corner by sliding the kendo stick through the chain link. Never seen that. That was, or if I have, I might have missed it. Loved that. Uh, brought him back in the ring, set up a chair, driving McIntyre right into it. Um, you know, oh my God, this, the, the spots were just killer. We got a uh, the Future Shock DDT, but of course the referee wasn't there. Uh, McIntyre has a new referee come out. Of course, 
uh, MVP sneaks in there, pulls the ref out, and that face that MVP makes when he notices the door is locked. McIntyre finally gets his revenge on uh, on MVP for all the bullshit. Uh, I'm glad that we got a real – I wrote this down. I'm glad that we got a real tug at McIntyre's leg in this match and not just like a, hey, and McIntyre going, what? Oh, no, I'm distracted, Spear. You know, like I hated that that's how that one the, – the, the main event they had. I think that – wasn't that – was that WrestleMania? What was that? Yeah, that was, was WrestleMania, WrestleMania where you got irritated. Like that MVP was like, "Hey Drew, I'm over here," and Drew was yeah, like, and, "What?" And they got yeah. out with the spear. Yeah, it, it, it was literally. It, we I think we said it was literally the jackass. Um, like, hey, look like, at me. You will, you will, you will not make this claymore, you jackass. And then it's like, it. "What?" And then yeah. this is the claymore. This we got MVP actually like grabbing the leg and like actually like you know actually pulling the ref physically out as well. involving himself, not just like. The audible Agreed. distraction, yeah. So McIntyre lines up another Claymore after using the steel chair to attack Lashley to, to, to just keep on hitting him and just wear him down. Violent, violent match as well, I definitely mentioned. But with all this violence, what you got was a roll-up by Lashley to steal the win. And you're still your champion is Bobby Lashley with the help of MVP violent match. As I mentioned before, just brutality. Uh, they beat the shit out of each other. They were both bleeding. I mean, and then you with a roll up. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I don't, I don't know if Bobby Lashley just can't do the dominator anymore for some strange reason, but I would have loved to see a dominator to Drew McIntyre. Why haven't we seen that yet? And if, and if it's happened, please someone send me a link. Cause I'd like to see it. Um, it was an odd finish for what it was. I mean, at least last year can now move on for McIntyre. I get it. You still want to keep McIntyre strong. I'm with you, but like, I don't believe you're not, you're, in, not, you're not achieving that by letting him lose when a roll up. I mean, yeah. I mean, like he, they both beat the hell out of each other. They, they told enough a story and it was enough ring psychology that both one, either men could have lost on their back. And it still would have been like, damn, he went through a lot of shit. I mean, you did the same thing with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, like a couple hours before you had Kevin Owens, uh, you know, go or you have Sami Zayn go over clean, still make Kevin Owens look strong because he took so much brutality and punishment. You can tell a good story without a shit finish. It's possible, I promise. Um, but it's I, that's what took it away from me. The match would have been five stars if it would have been a clean finish. I mean, not that this wasn't clean per se. Um, it's hard to have a clean finish in Hell in a Cell. I, I'm, you know, oxymoron there. But you know, it, it should have just been a fin- You know, finishing maneuver. Count one, two, three. That guy's out. In my opinion, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm asking for too much. Other than that, um, the positives of the match really enjoyed this one, and uh, love again, love the brutality. And they, those guys really deserved a great payday because they they put their bodies through a lot of shit that night, and um, uh, they should be proud of their match. Yeah, uh, despite the weak finish, uh, there's a couple other spots that I'm a, I'm gonna mention uh, here in a second. I gave the match four and a half stars. It honestly. And this this might I might catch some help for this. It might be Bobby Lashley's best match in WWE, like ever. Um, you mentioned it was very brutal. Uh, you, the first thing you mentioned was the entrances feeling big. I thought Bobby's went a little long, uh, but that might go sort of to your point. But that's just it was too long for my for my liking, considering I'm over the Undertaker three minutes to get to the ring thing. Um, there was a face off during the introductions when they were being introduced. 
Drew McIntyre had no reaction when they called out his name. Bobby Lashley lifts up the belt, whatever the case was. The faceoff was really was really a really nice moment, like you said. Gave it that big match feel. It felt like it was Drew McIntyre's last chance, and that adds to it. There was a suplex where Drew McIntyre uh, suplexed Bobby Lashley against the cage, and I wrote down that if he hadn't rotated right, he could have landed straight on his head, and that could have ended really badly. Uh, there was white noise off the base of the stairs. No learning how to how to bump on the on the base of the stairs. Uh, it, it just looked brutal. Like you said, this match was violent. Um, the, one of the one of the caveats here, I, I wrote that two times in the last three nights, if you include SmackDown from uh, you know two nights prior to this match, including twice tonight because you had the KO same as a match that I've talked about. Uh, spots aimed at throats where guys couldn't breathe. And I think, uh, you know, sort of like you mentioned, the oversaturation of the B- Bianca Belair hair tying, I feel like they're getting oversaturated with this throat spot, with, you know, within this calendar week here in WWE. Um, that's just me. I did write down, I'm glad we're finally seeing this turn into a power brawl instead of these nonsense giant luchador spots that they've tried to do in matches past. Prior, when Braun Strowman was still around, they were all, like, trying to do just stuff they shouldn't be doing. And so we got a nice little brawl power match here between the two of them uh you know i think you know you mentioned hopefully this is the last of them this is a nice bow to put on the rivalry i'm excited to see what comes next because i feel like the rivalry's run its course uh we were we're starting to see on on monday night raw well prior to this match kofi kingston challenging bobby lashley and we saw on the next night on raw here that bobby lashley would violently attack xavier woods so we may see at least for the for the immediate future Kofi Kingston entering self into the picture with Bobby Lashley for a little while. Uh, there was a stair spot uh, into the cage where Bobby just basically kept smashing McIntyre's head between the cage and the stairs. Like it was just, again, had a very violent optic, loved it. It's been a while since I've seen a, a bump from a referee that looked like legitimately inadvertent. So kudos to the referee in this match, because uh, you mentioned the referee wasn't there to, to make the count after the, the, the DDT. Uh, that the spot that, that ref took that the bump that ref took in this match was was really really well done. As soon as I knew they, as soon as I knew they were going to open the cage and let another referee in, I just knew MVP was going to get involved. You mentioned that you know he turns around, notices they locked him in. It made no sense to me. Like, yeah, he got himself in, but like, as another official, why would you lock the cage knowing MVP is still in there? Like, again, from a realism standpoint, it didn't make sense. A couple of tables that got used in the match that were set up early. Um, I never thought another caveat here in this match. I talked about not liking the throat spot, not liking Bobby's interest. that was too long. Never thought I'd get tired of chair, of chair shots, but especially late in this match, Drew is pulling the shots and Lashley's barely even getting hit. Uh, lost some intensity there for me. And I sort of figured Lashley was going over uh, with the prospect that McIntyre could still win money in the bank and uh, still get the title back, even with Lashley as champion. Uh, but as as we've gone into detail, really weak finish, the schoolboy roll up, however you want to describe it for the win and a match that was brutal, did a lot of disservice to this match. I, you know, despite the, the the poor spots in this match, four and a half stars, because for what these guys were trying to what well, the story, of these guys were trying to portray and the brutality that they went through that night. I mean, Bobby Lashley came with a legit bandage on his arm. You saw like skin ripped off of his of his chest uh in this match uh yeah that was that was pretty rough yep so uh it was really brutal like you said they earned their paychecks this night uh bobby lashley still your wwe champion and for the time being drew mcintyre is out of the title picture uh so that was that was the match by match review 
Uh, let's get right into the the different, I guess, awards, if you would like to call them that. Uh, PJ, Botch of the Night, what you got for your Botch of the Night here at Hell in a Cell 2021? I think you and I are both going to agree, my friend. It, it, it had to have been the kick. <laughs> the kick. And you know what kick I'm talking about. That kick with Charlotte to, to Ray. I mean, like, I know things happen, man. So I hate to blame it because, like, she knows that she fucked up, but come on, man. We got, we got to do a little bit better than that. Yeah. I, I think it's the kick. I agree. And it was reminiscent of the rapid kicks that Sasha was doing in the first ever women's Royal rumble, I believe to Trish Stratus where they slowed it down and you could see that she was just jumping up and, and doing kicks in the air, literally oh, to the air yeah. instead of hitting yeah. Trish Stratus in the stomach. So again, agreed that missed kick by Charlotte that was blatantly caught on camera uh, was, was my batch of the night. Uh, my PBO or my piss break opportunity, if it wasn't the match between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, it was the entrance, the entrances to the championship match. I know you said it was a, it gave it a good feel, but the fact that they were so long would have given you the time to get a quick piss break in considering this show as a whole was a really good show and you wouldn't want to wish, miss any of the matches. So I gave a piss break opportunity to an entrance segment. Uh, PJ, what was your PBO of the night here? Um. Honestly, uh, probably Alexa Bliss and Shayna, just because like that was a good match. I did enjoy it, but um, if I because I go the way I rate these piss break opportunities is like I look at the card and I'm like, you know, and and it's afterwards I'm like, okay, where would I, where would I want someone to go take a piss? Because like, yeah, honestly, no, never mind. I'd have to say Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. I, I, I'd say. Go, go go take a leak during that because it's such a long match that like and they're doing you know they're very redundant in their psychology in the match anyway like if you miss something they're gonna do it again so yeah just uh yeah go go, go pee then you can even oh. poop <laughs> there you go yeah we mentioned it the pbo doesn't have to stand for piss you, you have your poop break of the night you know whatever your case yeah, is I mean, get your, I get too your... much I too many chicken wings i gotta i'm hung over i gotta go uh i gotta, I gotta poop man I gotta, yeah people people poop Get you get you a snack in if you wanna if you wanna you know get you make you a PB and J PB and J break you know oh brother yeah you know I'm, listen, I, listen, I tried listen, it listen to you listen yeah to you. I tried it it didn't work out uh, what was your <laughs> PJ what was what you have for the spot of the night here at Hell in a Cell oh a uh, spot of night had to have been um, you know it's part of me it's just like Sammy going over that that finish was that 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 finish was cool because I. I love Sami Zayn and seeing him go over was cool, but honestly, I gotta say spot of the night. Um, it definitely wasn't Alexa Bliss hypnotizing uh, Shayna. It definitely was not that, um, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess I gotta say spot of the night, uh, anything that Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens did in that match, but definitely the finish um, for uh, Sami Zayn and, and Kevin Owens. Cause I, it was such an, uh, I didn't expect it, honestly. Um, but uh, getting the getting Hulluva kick for the win, I thought was great because I do love that move. That to me is the spot of the night. Yeah, I feel like it's also been a while since we've seen the Hulluva kick put somebody down. So yeah. I, I'll agree with you from that standpoint. My spot of the night came in the came in the show opener. That kiss of death on the ladder by Bianca Bailey, well executed. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That one, that's a close second. Yeah, very yeah. much so. I agree. It was very well executed. Uh, I mean, the ladder that, that Bailey introduced, I mean, it seemed like a kid ladder, like it wasn't tall. But then again, you wouldn't have been able to have a tall ladder inside that that ring with the cage surrounding them. But yeah, that kiss of death on the ladder was was definitely my spot of the night. Uh, match of the night, we may, we may or may not disagree here. I'll give my match of the night first. Uh, the main event, 
was my match of the night. Very brutal, as it should have been for two guys that have been feuding for months now. Uh, two big, powerful wrestlers. Uh, the main event here was my match of the night. Uh, PJ, what was your match of the night here at Hell in a Cell? Probably, probably the despite the shitty finish, like we've you know discussed a thousand times, probably the um, the main event as well. Yep, I agree. Yeah, as far as the overall show, I say take out the women's title match, and this is a four star show. Uh, good action from start to finish, with some real brutality throughout the entire card. A uh, little surprised we didn't get more title matches here. The last pay per view WWE put on was NXT in your house, uh, and there was the the. Uh, Six man tag to start the match, start the show. Uh, this pay per view, if you were following closely to the description of each match, did not have a single tag team match on the card. Not oh, something, yeah, you're right. Not something you're used to seeing by WWE pay per view standards, even though the big knock that WWE always has against them is their lack of push for the tag team divisions. Uh, and I think that was on full display here because we did not get a single. Uh, tag team match here. I don't believe there's a triple threat on the card. If you want to consider the Shayna Bliss match where you had Reginald and Nia on the outside as a multi-person match, or even the main event where you had MVP getting involved in the finish uh, and in the match itself, there was still no, there were no multi, multi-people matches, no tag team matches. So um, despite all this and the, and the lack of, of a lot of title matches, because I mean, there was no intercontinental champion on the card, no United States champion on the card. The universal title match between Roman Reigns and Rey Mysterio got moved to Friday night, so that match was no longer on this card. Uh, yeah, so, was, it, was it? Was that because like he was on, he was like doing some sort of vacation or something? And that, and that what I read, like he had a vacation in the works or something. I have no idea. I just I thought it was weird that Roman Reigns is being pushed as this monster, but he's not even on the pay per view card. So now, granted, they also had a hell in a cell the next night on Raw between Bobby Lashley and Xavier Woods. The rumor is that they've said that to try to uh, help with advertisers and get some, some, you know, get some momentum as they start to do shows with fans again. But nevertheless, it was just, it was, again, it was just weird to me that so few champions, I mean, you had three title matches on this card and no tag team right. matches whatsoever, no tag team champion appearances, like no, none of the, the tag team champions were even on the card. Just thought it was weird, but despite all that, it was a, it was a four star pay per view. PJ, what was your what would you say your final thoughts were here on this Hell in a Cell twenty twenty one? Yeah, I would also give it about four four and a half stars, man. I was super impressed. I was surprised. Uh, I'm I'm usually a um, an advocate for just always preaching the NXT is over the main roster. And this time I was proven wrong because uh, the last NXT pay per view to me was dumpster fire. And this was just a great effort, and they really, really pulled it out. I enjoyed it. A couple of weird finishes, but you're going to have that. It, you know, it is the E. Um, but I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed. I enjoyed parts of every single match, and every single match made me go like, "Oh shit! All right, we're we're doing stuff here." Really, really nice. Yep, four well, and a good. half stars. Yeah, good stuff, man. PJ, by the time this airs, you will have already had your show in Columbia, South Carolina. Anything, oh, com- anything coming up for Gord- Guardians Warlock that you want to let the fans know about? So, uh, no, not nothing, nothing new that we've already talked about. You know, just just still recording and still just having a great time, man. Like uh, we're 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 stoked to we're stoked to keep playing, man. And we've got a lot of other shows lined up. We got a Friday the Thirteenth show lined up as well. Um, 
uh, here in old Scummerville. So we're happy about that as well, but I really appreciate it, man. And you guys uh, have the time, you know, definitely check us out on Bandcamp, Facebook, if you wouldn't mind, you know, uh, Guardians Warlock. I appreciate that very much. And uh, Bully Rat, I appreciate you having me on here, man. I know I'm hungover today. I probably wasn't the best, but damn, I hope I gave it to our, our audience because they deserve it, taking the time out of their day to, you know, kind of listen to us ramble for a little while. So I appreciate you guys and uh, Bully Rat, I appreciate you, my friend. No, thank you for being on the show. I guarantee you the the, the fan base we have for the show is going to be appalled that one of us got drunk last night and <laughs> came to the came to the came to the show hungover and and holding on for dear life. Uh, but no, PJ, as always, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, we've got some some exciting stuff coming up this summer between you and I. So stay tuned for that. But for the rest of you, coming up next, the main event of the show this week, I'm going to preview the AFC South. Uh, here in the NFL in my way too early divisional predictions. But before we get there, I did want to take, make a mention that I am appearing on the, the YouTube show, Ryan and Derek question everything. When I get some more details about when that will be airing, uh, it's not, I'm not the Ryan in that situation, but I will be recording that episode later today. So stay tuned to my social media. I forgot to mention where you can find me on social media on Twitter at Tapouts and TDs. Search at Tapouts and Touchdowns on Facebook and Tapouts and Touchdowns at gmail.com is the email to the show. I'll be publishing that show's information when it becomes available. Uh, but once again, stay tuned. We're coming up next, our main event of the show, AFC South Preview by your guy, Bully Rye. Uh, we'll be right back here on Tapouts and Touchdowns. Sarcasm. Podcasts. Would life be fun without them? <laughs> Don't answer that. But do join hosts Ashley D and Fousey B as they give you a sarcastic view on everything in life from situationships to asshole algorithms to the question, are your friends obligated to support you? Mm, that's a good one. Coming from two different cultures, these two bring the juice with all the pulp. Go to PardonMySarcasm.com to catch up on the fun. Like right now. What's the holdup? everybody welcome back to the show and welcome to the main event of the show this week uh, before i get started i came up late in the opening segment on where you can find me on social media so if all you cared about was football i will start off this segment with where you can find me on social media on twitter you can find me at tapouts and tds on facebook just search for at tapouts and touchdowns and the email to the show is always touchdowns at gmail.com. Again, I hope you enjoyed PJ Steven and I discussing Hell in a Cell 2021. And for you football fans that listen to the show, I hope you enjoy the NFC South preview because the AFC South preview is going to be more in-depth and with just as good of, if not better, information than the NFC South preview. So without further ado, let's get, let's get into it. Uh, as I did with the NFC South and as I will do with the other divisions, I'm going to go worst to first in this situation. 
And unfortunately, I guess for the who I've got winning this division, I've got a lot more to say about the last place finisher for the 2021 season in the AFC South. And I'm talking about the Houston Texans. I may have mentioned it on the show last week. I was going to have a lot to say about the Texans. And before we get into an outlook for 2021, we've got to look at what happened to them in 2020. Coming off of a, another playoff appearance in 2019, they traded away arguably one of the best wide receivers in football in DeAndre Hopkins out of Clemson to the Arizona Cardinals. Already rubbing the franchise quarterback Deshaun Watson the wrong way as they went to the same school and had a very good rapport. But but I guess they figured, they being the Houston Texans, that they could get the same production from a wide receiver Brandon Cooks who they would uh, trade for and have for the 2020 season. Now in 2020, they finished 4-12. and After an 0-4 start, they fired Bill O'Brien. And it was just a very bleak outlook, and we're, we're getting more into it. Off-season departures, they lost tight end Darren Fells to the Detroit Lions. They lost running back Duke Johnson. Uh, defensive tackle Carlos Watkins went to the Cowboys. And all-franchise, all-time player J.J. Watt followed his old running buddy DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals in the offseason. So in two years, the Houston Texans have managed to run away arguably a top three wide receiver in the NFL. And then the face of your franchise, J.J. Watt, has been the Houston Texans for the last 10 years. And this will be the first season he will ever line up for another team in another uniform. Now, they did not have a first or second round draft pick in 2021. Their first, <laughs> their first real big splash pick was quarterback Davis Mills out of Stanford, and they drafted a wide receiver out of Michigan in Nico Collins. Now, while they might not have had enough draft equity to make splashes, they did make some splashes in free agency. They went out and signed quarterback Tyrod Taylor, who was slated to be the starter in Los Angeles for the Chargers last year before a medical mishap propelled Justin Herbert to that starting job, and he never relented. Uh, I mentioned that they lost Duke Johnson. They pick up Philip Lindsay, who was released out of Denver. They picked up Mark Ingram, who I mentioned last week. Wide receivers, they went out and signed Andre Roberts. Dante Moncrief, you may remember as a wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. And Chris Conley. Uh, they, they also went out and signed some, uh, I, I don't know if you want to call them big-name linebackers, Jordan Jenkins, Joe Thomas, Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Uh, a couple of defensive backs they went out and got. Terrence Mitchell, Desmond King, and Traymond Smith. You look at roster, you know, some of what they're bringing back this year. Uh, while they have, have obviously had some, some big losses in the last few years, they returned wide receivers Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks, who I mentioned a minute ago. In that trade in which they, re they released DeAndre Hopkins, they got David Johnson. He'll be back this year. On the defensive side of the ball, they get Shaq Lawson and Whitney Merciless back at linebacker, and then Vernon Hargraves is a notable defensive back that will be coming back this year. Now, I mentioned uh, Davis Mills being drafted and Tyrod Taylor being signed because the biggest news coming out of the offseason had to have been the saga that was Deshaun Watson. Uh, when the organization wouldn't involve him in the coaching search, uh, disregarded his suggestions 
in order to go sign another Patriots guy, he immediately wanted out of Houston. He had just signed a big four-year contract extension the year before. If you you know go out and read a few different articles, he could still opt out of the season uh, without costing him too much financially. Uh, but nevertheless, he wants out of Houston. I mentioned it was another Patriots guy. I mean, look at the running backs that they have on that roster now. David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead. It sounds like a slew of Patriots running backs, doesn't it? Uh, Houston showed no interest in trading or releasing Deshaun Watson upon requests by Watson at the behest of him not returning phone calls. And here's where it gets interesting. Just before the draft where... Multiple teams in the NFL would have showed interest in trading. Houston had already made clear was not interested in doing. Civil lawsuits were filed against Deshaun Watson from various uh, massage therapists in and around Houston, alleging sexual misconduct. As of now, there are 22 plaintiffs in total. I, I've gone on record for uh, in another show, in another episode, to say that when... You have a bunch of corroborating, I wouldn't even call them witnesses, victims. It is very hard to side against those victims who turns to victim blaming, just downright doesn't believe people because the majority of sexual assault allegations are not made up. I mean, you can go and look at the statistics. The vast majority of claims of sexual abuse that are reported turn out to be true. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there's no debate behind that. However, with this situation and not recently, but when the situation first started, Deshaun Watson's attorney was very adamant about defending him and coming out and saying that they had evidence that proved the outright lie by at least a few of these alleged victims. Now I don't want to run the risk of minimizing the claims by by these plaintiffs in these civil lawsuits. But it just sounds way too fishy to me to at least be 100% plausible across the board. You've got a star quarterback who has just signed a big money extension, is now unhappy with your franchise the next year, demands out. Houston plays hardball. All of a sudden, these allegations come up. And of course, nobody's going to want to touch touch. Deshaun Watson after this point. Uh, there was some news within the last few weeks. An NFL.com article suggested that a possible landing point at some point may be the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, I don't believe, has had a winning season since uh, the Peyton Manning years. They still have not solidified their quarterback. They have gone out and gotten Teddy Bridgewater to go along with the quarterback out of Missouri, Drew Locke. But there's nothing set in stone. So the article on NFL.com suggested that this could be a potential landing spot for Deshaun Watson. But at the same time, Deshaun Watson is going to have to get through all of all of this. They've come out and said the NFL has not interviewed Deshaun Watson about the situation. And legally, it is not expected for this to be settled anytime soon, in or out of court. The bottom line here is that Deshaun Watson will never play another down for the Houston Texans. Not this year, not next year. If he ever plays in the league again, he will not be in a Houston Texans uniform. Having said that, so I don't see 
anybody outside of an Aaron Rodgers or even a Tom Brady coming into this offense and making it as productive as Deshaun Watson was able to do with so few weapons to get the ball to. Now, I've already mentioned he lost Darren Fells at tight end. Uh, he's He lost a, another running back in Duke Johnson. I've already mentioned other replacements. The running game should be fine as long as everybody can stay healthy. But we saw that wide receiver core last year. Brandon Cooks finally started coming on towards the end of the season. But I don't want to call him injury prone, but in the years past, he's, he has dealt with injuries. Randall Cobb specifically has dealt with a ton of injuries. Uh, Andre Roberts has mainly played a special teams role in the last few teams that he's played on. Uh, Dante Moncrief has had his fair share of, of injury situations. And then you've got the, the addition of Chris Conley. So even with all these weapons, you plug in a Tyrod Taylor who is spoken very highly of by the teams that he's played for, considering that he is essentially bounced around the league and lost multiple starting jobs that he probably shouldn't have lost. But here again, if we're talking about production replacement, Tyrod Taylor is no Deshaun Watson. Davis Mills out of Stanford is no Deshaun Watson. And that's why I have the Houston Texans coming from 4-12 and 12 in 2020 to going 1-16 here in 2021. The only one I've given them this year is a win in Week 12 over the New York Jets. But the Houston Texans as an organization has become a total dumpster fire. It's an embarrassment to the people who have put their blood, sweat, and tears into that organization on the field. Uh, I think back to, and again, this is my homework coming out, but I think back to what uh, Jadavian Clowney had to deal with on his way out. Uh, obviously with J.J. Watt, when, when you have a player – as good of a person as J.J. Watt is, when you have a player like J.J. Watt who no longer wants to be a part of your organization, you have a problem. Uh, there was even a, a situation where their PR director was released. Their reasoning was that she didn't fit the culture that Houston wanted to promote. And everybody and their mother came out on social media and said, well, if that's not the culture that we want, then what exactly are you trying to do? Uh, so again, one in one in sixteen for the Houston Texans this year. If you're a Houston Texas fan, it's it's going to be a long season and a long future for you, uh, for your for your Texans organization. Coming up third, so so that's it about the Houston Texans. I told you I had more to say about them than anybody else. The other ones are going to feel like a breeze going through them. Uh, finishing third this season in the AFC South, I've got the Jacksonville Jaguars who in 2020 finished 1-15, fired their general manager after a 1-10 start, and at the end of the season fired head coach Doug Marone on January 4th. Eventually would hire former University of Florida and Ohio State coach Urban Meyer as their new head coach. I mentioned uh, wide receiver Chris Conley going over to the Houston Texans. He obviously came out of Jacksonville. Chris Conley is gone. And tight end Tyler Eifert is the other big departure that, that stood out to me. Although Tyler Eifert, since his injury in Cincinnati, has not been that same player. Now, I mentioned they went 1-15 last year. It meant that they had the number one overall draft pick in the 2021 draft. 
and they did not waste any time. Even though they have Garner Minshew, who has been productive at times, they saw an immediate upgrade in the quarterback out of Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. In the next round, they would sign running back or, or draft running back Travis Etienne. Uh, regarding uh, free agency, uh, they went out and signed Carlos Hyde, another very serviceable, serviceable running back who has, be it because of injuries or whatever the case may be, has has not panned out in some of the... Here's a name you didn't think you might hear on this podcast. At tight end, the Jacksonville Jaguars tried him out and have, have at least signed him uh, prior to the to the cuts that come at the end of the preseason. Former college quarterback for Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, is now going to be lining up at tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I I say all this to say, and I'm going to wrap it up very quickly here, with all these new faces, with a new head coach, a converted quarterback that, that's expected to be one of your one of your better tight ends, Jacksonville is going to be improved from one in fifteen, but they're not going to be that much improved. They have a long way to go from where they were a few years ago. Believe it or not, when Blake Bortles was at quarterback and they were competing for AFC championships, it is a long way from getting back to that point. Primarily because of the division that they play in. In 2020, they went one in 15. I've got them going 5-12 in 2021 with wins over Houston in both of their games. I've got them getting one upset win over Indy and an upset, you might call it an upset by that point, uh, against New England. And then, like the Houston Texans, I've got the Jacksonville Jaguars getting a win against the New York Jets. So far, we got Houston and Jacksonville. It leaves us two more. Without further ado, go right into it. The number two team in the AFC South will finish the same place they did last season in the AFC South, and that is the Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis, who finished 11-5 in 2020, lost their wildcard playoff game against the Buffalo Bills 24-27. to Now, Indianapolis had just gotten Phillip Rivers from the formerly San Diego Chargers. Phillip Rivers has retired. So you get no Phillip Rivers. You also lose Jacoby Brissett, who signed a two-year contract after the abrupt retirement of Andrew Luck due to his injury issues. And then a guy who I'm surprised has not been re-signed yet, tight end Trey Burton is no longer with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the offense is – I would say the offense is where they struggled. Their defense was a top defense in the league last season. So you look at their offensive moves – uh, with with Trey Burton, who again played a little bit of quarterback in high school, some trick play quarterback in college, uh, no longer on this roster for the time being. Having said that, they've got some some decent names to to look at as far as who they've got coming in or coming back this season. They lose Philip Rivers, but they make a trade for quarterback Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles. A few years ago, Carson Wentz looked like he was an MVP in the league candidate before he went down to injury, and Nick Foles would go on to help Philadelphia win that Super Bowl. Uh, so I'm not sure you're going to see much of a drop-off here between Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz. Uh, only time will tell. They would also draft Sam Ellinger, uh, quarterback out of Texas. You also think you get Marlon Mack returning from his ACL injury to pair with a rookie standout running back in Jonathan Taylor from 2020. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, who had a very, very rough couple of years in Indianapolis, re-signed a one-year contract, as well as a slew of returning players from injury here in Indianapolis. I think in a division 
where you've got Houston and Jacksonville that are just Houston's a dumpster fire, as I've said, and Jacksonville still rebuilding and a decent replacement for Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz. I think they're slated to repeat what they did last season. I said they went 11 and 5 in 2020. I've got them going 11 and 6 this year. Uh, losses to start the season. It might look a little rough to start the season because I've got them losing to Seattle, the LA Rams, and Tennessee. Uh, but I've got them bouncing back to win six straight before losing that upset game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, followed by a rematch in the AFC wild card round last season. I've got them losing to the Buffalo Bills. Also, the following week, losing to the Tampa Bay Bucks before finishing the season on five straight to close out the 2021 season. As I mentioned in the NFC preview, I'm not going to go over playoff pictures uh, way too early, but like I said, the Indianapolis Colts, 11-6 in 2021. Last but certainly not least are going to be the AFC South champions, uh, the Tennessee Titans. In 2020, the Tennessee Titans were also the AFC South champions, uh, finishing 11-5, as did the Colts. They would also lose their wildcard game, uh, but to the Baltimore Ravens, 20-13. A few key departures to look at. At defensive back, you, lo- you lose Malcolm Butler and Chris Milton, uh, as well as safety Kenny Vaccaro. You lose a couple of wide receivers and Adam Humphreys, who has gone to the Washington football team. Corey Davis, and then at tight end, Johnny Smith has gone to the New England Patriots. Now, they made some splashes. I say some splashes. They made some splashes in the offseason. Uh, their first pick, they drafted Caleb Fari, a defensive back out of Virginia Tech, to replace some of that production lost by Malcolm Butler. The biggest news, and I mentioned this in, in a few shows, the Tennessee Titans went out and traded for Julio Jones from the Atlanta Falcons. I mentioned they lost both Adam Humphreys and Corey Davis as well as tight end Jonu Smith. So you get a big-name receiver like Julio Jones, big play receiver like Julio Jones, as long as he can stay healthy. This passing game might be much improved from last year with a returning quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. And they've also signed uh, they've also signed cornerback Deshaun Kaiser for some depth behind Tannehill. Kaiser in college for Notre Dame had a similar play style as Tannehill does now. Uh, But nevertheless, this passing game could be much improved here for the Tennessee Titans. At running back, there's not really a whole lot to say. Derrick Henry finished the season last year with 2,027 rushing yards, leading the league in 2020, also with 17 touchdowns. I mentioned wide receivers lost. They also drafted a wide receiver out of the University of Louisville in Des Fitzpatrick. Uh, Another, And also, Tennessee is another team getting a slew of players back from injury, including uh, Pro Bowl caliber offensive tackle and Taylor Lewan. Now, I mentioned they finished 2020-11-5. I've got them going 14-3 and this year. I'm, I'm really bullish on the Tennessee Titans this year with losses to Buffalo in Week 6, a an upset loss to the Colts, if you want to call it an upset loss to the Colts in Week 8, and then at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 15. I've been talking up Tennessee for a few years now. There was a year where they they put it to the Patriots, I believe, in the playoffs. And I've said ever since that they were the real deal. They have they have not disappointed me. Uh, they have, they've really put it together over the last few years. Again, 2020 with the decline of the Houston Texans and their, their ability to run the football with Derrick Henry, 
Uh, they, they're going to build off a 2020 playoff appearance, and they're going to get another division title here uh, with a rebuilding Jacksonville and, as I said, a dumpster fire in Houston. So to recap, worst to first in the AFC South, the Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Indianapolis Colts, and your AFC South champion, Tennessee Titans. Repeat AFC South champions, as I should say, in the Tennessee Titans. So there you have it. The AFC South way too early preview. I don't see any changes coming to this division, but anything is possible. If Deshaun Watson decides to return or is allowed to return or whatever the case is, Houston may be able to win a few more games. But I truly, as I said, you know, discussing the Houston Texans, I don't believe Deshaun Watson ever lines up at quarterback for the Houston Texans in the future. Next week, I'm going to go ahead and move back to the NFC as I'm going to preview the NFC East. Who's going to finish winning that, what turned out to be a dumpster fire division last season. Uh, but nevertheless, that's your show this week. I hope you enjoyed the Hell in a Cell review, and I hope you enjoyed the AFC South preview. If you have any corrections or disagreements, find me on social media and tell me about it, and I'll include it on my show the next time that I record. But until then, for PJ Steven, it's your guy, Bully Rye, and we'll see you next time right here on Tap Outs and Touchdowns.